I want to set this up by talking about last Sunday. We were uh, in chapter 2. We ended chapter 2. Uh, and so last Sunday, there, there were some terms that were being used. He said that, that those who are spiritual, and so he's not talking about the same way we talk about being spiritual in our day and age, where you're just like, you know, I like spiritual things, and, you know, I, I, I pray to some God or no God. I just, you know, I, I'm a spiritual being. I'm a spiritual person. That's not what he's talking about. He defined being spiritual as being a Christian, meaning indwelled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He, so when we talk about about spiritual people today or, or mature Christians or spiritual Christians, that when we use those terms, you see them in the text, we talk about those today, he's talking about a, a Christian, a Christian who is controlled by the Holy Spirit, bound by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, a Christian, that's what a Christian is, who, who has not just pre- professed their faith in Jesus, because um, some, you know, even demons believe in Jesus, they do. They shudder, though. Uh, uh, so it's not just ascending to an intellectual idea about who God is or what he says or affirming something with, with simply our lips, but, but with our heart, loving, knowing, worshiping Jesus, giving him our life, our sins to Jesus. What happens then is he gives us his spirit. God gives us his spirit through faith and repentance in him. We get the spirit of God. So those who are spiritual are Christians. When I refer to being a Christian today. I'm implying that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I need you to understand this. Depending on your theological background, you may twist and turn those things upside down. What I'm saying is if you're a Christian, because what the Scripture says, if you're a Christian, you got the Spirit. You got Him. And so he says those who are in the flesh, he contrasts them. He says those who are in the flesh or those who are carnal, uh, depending on your translation, or those who are not Christians. That's what he's referring to, non-Christians. And so today's sermon is a message from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. It's a, it's a it's time to grow up type sermon. It's a time-to-grow-up conversation. That's what it is. And so I'm sure to hurt lots of feelings today. That's not the goal, though. That's not the goal, though. But it is one of those texts. I need you to hear that on the front end. I love you. I care for you. The Apostle Paul loved this church. He cared for them. But they had stuff they needed to get together. Their act needed to get together. And so he said last week, we saw that there's this great need for the Holy Spirit to empower us to live mature Christian lives. And so now he's getting into his, his, his argument to them, his point to them, his beef with them, his frustration with them. And that is Christians who live like non-Christians. That's the first thing he addresses here. He's kind of ticked off. I need you to understand this. He's ticked off because he's like a dad who loves his kids and his kids are getting themselves hurt. He keeps telling them over and over, hey, don't touch the fire. They keep burning themselves. And so he, the, the, the church in Corinth is a mess. If you're guests with us and you haven't heard about all the stuff they've been in, uh, man, they're getting you know, drunk at communion. They're, they're sleeping around. They're, 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 wild, they're wild church. They're crazy. Some of them are mixed up with demons. It's wild. That's the church. They're first-generation Christians. They get saved. They meet Jesus. But yet they don't leave behind their non-Christian ways. They, they, they don't, they, and that's what Paul's addressing. He says, he says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. But, but brothers, I brothers... He's speaking to them, and he's addressing them as Christians. And you need to see this. This is why he's frustrated. He's, he's saying, you are Christians. God has saved you. His spirit is in you. But you're not acting like it. I could not address, uh, address you as spiritual people. I couldn't even look at you like you're a Christian, is what he's saying. Like I'm looking around, and he's, he's going like, I don't even know how to talk to you. you you're acting like someone you're not. But, but I'm going to address you as people of the flesh, which is, like we said just a second ago, non-Christians, but as infants in Christ. So this is what he's saying. He's like, you're Christians, but you're not acting like it, so I can't call you non-Christians, even though that's what you're acting like, so I'm just going to address you as infants, like little babies. You're a baby. That's what he's saying. You're like a little child. 
You can't feed yourself. You can't change your own diaper. You can't do anything. That is what you are. That's someone would have to address you. Verse 2, he says, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So this is when he planted the church. He went to them. He, he, he wasn't able. They were spiritually mature. And then he says this now. And even now, you were not yet ready. Like, I'm not even there. Like, you, you haven't grown up at all. You're not growing up. And so, for you are still of the flesh. I need you to see this. What he is not saying is that you're still not Christians, and now you've got to do some stuff in order to earn your right into the family. He's not saying that. He, he's looking at a group of Christians who are born again, who have the Spirit of God, who, 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 are, who are at the beginning of the chapter of chapter 1, he called them saints. Like he, to those who are in Corinth who are being sanctified saints, those, that's who he's talking to. Christians. Real ones. Not just professing ones, real ones. And he's saying, man, you're acting though like you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You act like you don't know Jesus. You act like you're not trusting Jesus. You're acting like you're not following Jesus. That's what you're doing. So I don't even know how to address you. Do I address you like Christians or do I address you as non-Christians? I can't even tell the difference. He says that while there is jealousy, so there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And look at what he says, and behaving only in a human way? So he, 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 let's back up a second. He, he's like, when I saw you last, when I was with you, I fed you milk. Because you're an infant. And this is what you need to understand. Uh, infants, um, if you've ever seen one, they, that's what they drink. Mom's milk is the best thing for them. It's really great. It's really healthy. Uh, solid foods aren't. Solid food for a, an infant is not great. They can't, eat a sol- they can't eat solid food. But here's the problem. Oftentimes you think about, oh, they can't eat solid food. But the process, the human process for an infant, a child, a little baby growing up, about uh, six months, eight months, they're, they're, they are introducing solid foods. Like, that's pretty quick in, in the course of your life. You live, I don't know, 60, 80, 90 years. Six months is pretty stinking short. Like, it's a fast acceleration time from milk to, to putting, you know, a carrot in, you know, chomping on a carrot. Like, that's, that's quick. And that's fast. And so he's, he's, he's comparing Christians and how they should be maturing. And so oftentimes you're like, well, I'm just a new Christian. Five, ten years gone by, I'm just a baby Christian. He's like, that's the problem. You still are sucking on a pacifier and you should be, you know, uh, driving a car. You're like a teenager with a diaper. It's not cool. It's not cool. And so, yes, it's not, yeah, you don't need to give, uh, you know, your, your infant uh, a steak. But I can tell you, as a, as a father of four and my youngest being two, two years old, he eats steak like a man. They eat them quick. Whole steak. It's so expensive. So I'm just saying, like, Christians are like, man, the, just the maturity process takes so long. I need you to see, the point here is not milk versus meat. Spiritual milk, spiritual maturity. That's not what he's saying. It's not about teaching. What he is saying is you have the Spirit of God, so act like it. Sounds like moralism. Right? Just act like it, you know, just do it. What does he say? You are, not, you are of the, not of the flesh and behaving. Are you not of the flesh and are you behaving in only a human way? He's looking at their behavior. He's looking at their, what they're doing, how they're conducting, how they're living their lives. The reason is, is because our behavior is the fruit of what we truly believe. And so oftentimes pastors and, and, and Bible study leaders will get together and they talk about spiritual milk and meat. 
I want to go to a church that gives me meat. And what they really mean is they just want information. That's what, that's what people want. They want, oh, I want theological depth in my conversation. I want theological depth. And I'm all for theological depth. But I need you to understand that's not the difference between milk and meat. The difference between milk and meat is your maturity. What can you take in? He's pointing to the reality of not theological depth in conversation, but applying what you know. A spiritual influence is someone who hears the word of God and can't process it, can't, can't do anything with it, can't apply it. That's a spiritually immature person. So there's a lot of Christians who have a lot of degrees, a lot of information, a lot of books on their shelf, but have not obeyed or done any of them. They're babies. That's what he's saying. So many people come to churches that I want meat, are babies. They can't even handle milk. This is the church in Corinth. They want to know about, oh, tell me about uh, tongues. Tell me about the supernatural stuff. Tell me about the cool things. Tell me about oh, uh, all this stuff. They want to know that they, they're intellectually savvy. Greco-Roman Empire studied under the Greek philosophers that they, they have smart minds. They have information. They're not doing anything with it. If this isn't an indictment on the American church, then I don't know what is. It's just, it is. We have more books, Christian books, written at this point in history than any point in the history of the world. We have way more information than they do. Look around, America. Looks like, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, still drinking the milk. It's just what it is. It's not about theological depth. It's not about soteriology. It's not about any other ology that you can say to make yourself sound smart. Garbage. I love those things, but who cares if you don't live like a Christian? That's what he's saying. Well, you can nerd out with everybody, but look at you, church. This is, he's talking to them. You're picking favorite pastors. You have 80 people showing up. You have four groups, I guess 20 on each team. They're going to take the field. They got I, I follow Paul shirts. I follow Apostle, Apollos shirts. You know, Cephas over here. Like, that's what, that's the team. They got these teams. They're suing one another. They're getting drunk at communion. They're, having, they're, they're sleeping around with one another. They're, they're deviant. They're, 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 they're dabbling in demonic you know, spirituality. Like, does not, that not sound like American Christianity churches? This is what they're doing. This is what we're doing. He's just like, y'all are teenagers in a diaper. It's not cute. It's not cute. So... You think you're so hip, you think you're mature, you think you're cool, church in Corinth. You have degrees, you're intellectual, you studied. But you're at night going to the temple of Aphrodite. Some dude in your church is sleeping with his stepmom. And y'all all know about it and y'all are having dinner with him and y'all are hanging out with him. And you're going, that's kind of weird that he brought his girlfriend over, that's his stepmom. And they're like, I don't know, but you know, tolerance, diversity, you know. We got to, you know, we got to love. And so that's what's going on in Corinth. And that's what he's setting up to talk about. And so the biggest indicator, and you just see this, the biggest indicator of, of a spiritual infant 
is, is not what you know, but, or, or I guess the biggest indicator of your spiritual maturity is not what you know, but what you apply. What, what information do you apply based off of what you know? You know a lot of stuff and, you're, and you don't, this is, right, it's, some, some of us get in this position where I know all this information, but I can't do anything with it. I have all this information, I'm still struggling to follow Jesus. This information is not helping me. Because information, it's not an intellectual exercise. We talked about this last week. We need the Spirit of God to change our heart and mind. And so the biggest indicator of your spiritual maturity is not what you know, but, but, but do you apply what you know? So let me ask you this. Is your life built where Jesus is at the center of it? That's what a Christian is. That's what, literally what it means. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Worshiping Jesus, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, loving Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Like, is that, is that like mean something to you? Are you the type of Christian who's like, no, that just sounds like workspace stuff. Infant. That's what you are. That's just what it is. So many Christians are just so afraid of the word obedience and repentance. You know who else is afraid of obedience and repentance? Children. You ever met one? They don't like to obey anything. Don't jump on that. They jump on that. Don't stand on that. They stand on that. Don't eat that. Don't put that in your mouth. They put that in their mouth. It's, it's infantile. Christians, because we, you get saved as an adult, you, you, know, you have a degree and you have a job, you, you know, pay your rent on time, you're like, man, I'm better than everybody. I'm not a baby. Stop talking to me like a little kid. And Paul's saying, man, I wish I could. I don't even know how to look at you. That's what he's saying. I don't even know what to do. And so is Jesus at the center of your life? Do you, do you seek to worship him? Is there, is there, do you realize because you know, love, and trust Jesus, and you want to obey him, and you want to follow him, if that's you, then you realize real quickly, like, Christianity is a dogfight. Satan hates me. My sin wants to rebel against the, 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 the spirit of the living God. I want to do things I don't want to do. You're in like the Romans 7 category where it's like the stuff I want to do, I don't do. I'm real frustrated. I'm, I'm struggling. It's a battle. It's a war. If you love Jesus, you realize that real quickly. Like there's an enemy who hates you and wants to disrupt everything. And you realize you've got to fight, but you gladly do so if you're a Christian. You gladfully and willfully fight your sin if you're a Christian. If you're a mature Christian, you gladly and willfully do. Why? Because you love Jesus, so you repent willfully, joyfully. You stop. That's what repentance is. Stop doing something. Stop it. I struggle here. How do I, how do you, how do I not struggle here? Answer, stop it. Like That sounds not very pastoral. Like, I'm telling you, that's what it means. If you're, we're like, oh, repentance. We, 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 we theorize what repentance is. It means you're going one way and you turn around and you go the other way. So which way you're not going anymore? That way. You stopped it. You didn't. You're like, what? I still struggle. Yes, you still. You, it's a fight. You might struggle. But the goal in repentance and turning to Jesus and, and, and fighting your sin isn't to go, hey, I'm going to stop for today. Tomorrow. You know, on the weekend, I get five days clean, I'm going to do two days on sin. That's what I'm going to do. It's better than my, you know, everyone else who does six days, except for Sunday, because no one sins on Sunday. Like, if you love Jesus, you, and, and, and you, you realize, like, man, your sin killed him. Like, it was your sin that hung him to the tree. And you get frustrated with yourself. You're like, man, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your help. This is a fight. And Jesus, I love you. 
so much. My sin killed you, so I want to kill my sin. That's how Christians, mature Christians, begin to think. So they, they, they take information, they read the Word of God, and they go, oh man, that just indicted me. I just got conviction of the Holy Spirit reading God's Word. I got to do something. I got to walk out in repentance. I got to walk out and fight. I got to walk out and forgive. I gotta, there's something I got to respond to God's Word. We, we don't go to God's Word and just read the information and just fill our head with information. Every time we read the Word of God, it's likely that there's something that we read, if we read long enough, where the Spirit of God will, will address the sin in our heart. And at that moment, we have an opportunity, obedience to Jesus or just continual rebellion against Him. And Paul's writing to him, man, I love you, church. I don't even know how to look at you. I don't know how to address you. Are you a child? Are you a baby? Are you a non-Christian? I don't know. I claim to follow Jesus. I want to treat you like a Christian. So if I'm treating you like a Christian, you have dignity and value. You are a Christian. Now act like one. Now act like one. See, my son, two-year-old son, he loves to act like a dog. A dog. Doggy. And a baby lion. That's his new favorite. Hey, Knox, what are you? Baby lion. Cool. What does baby lion say? He roars. Cool. Baby lions roar. Cool. Uh... What, and he looks at me, you're daddy lion. Okay, we're playing this game. Eventually, we're going to have to stop playing the baby lion, daddy lion thing. Because he starts putting sticks in his mouth, and then he like crawls, and he won't walk, and then he's just like disobeying. Like, okay, we're, we're done playing baby lion. We're now, it was cute. It was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but now like, hey, Knox, you're going to have to act like a big boy now. Like, your mom just said to, you know, <laughs> go sit at the dinner table, and you're crawling around like a dog. Get up and act like a big boy. What am I doing in that moment? I'm just telling him to act like who he is, correct? He's not a lion, despite what anyone else would say, that he gets to choose that. He is not a dog. No way. He is a male two-year-old. That's what he is. He's a big boy. That's what he is. And so when he's acting like a dog, I don't, go, I don't come alongside him, affirm his you know, dog desires. I also don't call him to act like a boy and go, hey, well, you know, this could sound like workspace righteousness, son obeying me, you might feel guilty, you might feel... No, I, I call him to act like what he is. And that's what I mean when I say, when, stop it. Act like who you are. Paul's addressing them. He's like, you, I'm addressing you as spiritual infants. You're acting like non-Christians, but act like Christians. It's not a workspace thing. It's not a moralism thing. He is literally just telling them, just like I tell my son, hey... It's time to act like a, a child, time try, try, try to act like a, a human, stop pl- crawling on the floor like a dog, get up, sit at the dinner table, and eat with a fork, not with your, your, your mouth, you know, because then he'll do that, get on the table, and then he starts like eating like a dog there. It's like, no, you're, you're a human here at the table too, son. Eat like a human. When I'm doing that, what I'm doing is just I'm telling him to act like, behave like who he is. You were not a Christian at one point. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were rebelling against God. And then Jesus stepped in and took your place, died in your place for your sins. And through faith in him, you have become a new person. You have become born again. You have become a Christian. He just said, act like a Christian. Just act like it. Stop acting like who you once were. You were no longer that. You're a Christian. You are. 
And so he's, he, he's speaking in these terms, and, he's, and he talks about them living, he addresses them twice. He says, uh, he, in verse 1, he talk, calls them in the flesh, and then in verse 3, he re- references the flesh again. What he is saying is he's emphasizing this, that he, I'm disappointed in you. So the commentators will say that he, Paul is disappointed in them, and he's, he's, they're acting like unbelievers. He's, they're acting like the unbelieving world around them. So he's like, I need you to start acting like Jesus, because you are. And so some of you, I don't know where you're, where, uh, if you've been following Jesus a while or where you're at, but, but the works of the flesh are very clear. The, the ways of the world are very clear. They're very evident. And so actually Paul addresses this in, in Galatians chapter 5. He says it this way, the works of the flesh. And in, in, in verse 19, he says it this way, uh, about this is what the unbelieving world, this is how the, the church in Corinth were, you know, this is what they were submitting to, the works of the flesh. They were not, they were not being obedient to the Spirit. And they, he says it this way, now the works of the flesh are evident. So they're, they're clear. So in case you didn't know what the works of the flesh are, he's going to tell us. Sexual morality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He got tired of writing. He's just like, there's just all this stuff like that. And he says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he's referring back to works. Those who do them, their behavior, they're acting like non-Christians. When you act like a non-Christian, you might not be one, is what he's saying. So Paul's disappointed. They're still looking at porn. They're still lying about it. They're still hiding in, in community. They're not being transparent. They're not being open. They still think that, you know, oh, no one in the church can relate to me. My story's so unique. I can't be honest. Or they're still mad at God. They're still jealous at someone else in the church. They're looking, they're envying other moms. They're looking at guys in their workplace and going, man, you know, I just wish I had, I wish I was as lucky to have your job. Oh, it must be nice to have that house. And they're just, they're just, they're just getting drunk on the weekends. They're just continuing to live in the flesh. They're sleeping around. They're still getting angry, and their, their anger is not under control. And he's like asking him, how long are you going to flirt with your sin? How long? Let me ask you, how long will you? And here's the reality. You, ha- you will hit a point. If you don't hit a point where you're just like, I'm fed up with this. I'm fed up with this. I'm a Christian. I keep acting like a non-Christian. My life is marked like, I look more like works of the flesh than anything else, and it's just ruling my life. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to, to, to surrender to Jesus. I'm ready to, to actually walk in what it means. And if you don't have that desire, that want to, doesn't matter how many how-tos you have, doesn't matter how many books you've read, how, how many theologians you can quote, and what you can tell me about the Protestant Reformation, it don't matter. Until you have this Holy Spirit desire to, to, to be obedient to Jesus out of love and affection for Jesus. You know, and I want to put to death these things. And Paul warns him. I warned you. I'm warning you. Those who act this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul loves them and he's addressing them. He got, he's saying, guys, this is not what Christ has for you. So y'all keep complaining. Y'all keep comparing. You keep, you know, consuming. Stop. Stop. Works are evident, he says. 
He, he pleads with us to heed his warning. He continues and then says, what, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, he says in verse 22, the very next verse, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Christians, have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. He's looking at, hey, what, what, Corinthians, I'm looking at your life. And you got the works of the flesh nailed down perfectly. That's all you got. Church in Corinth, that's what's going on. For the Spirit, however, I think you have the Holy Spirit. God's given you a spirit. You gotta, you're, you haven't killed the flesh. And he, he's, he's saying, what, what are you producing in your life? Because the reality is, if he says in other texts that if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but, but you will also produce the works of the flesh. But if you walk according to the Spirit, you produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's the deal. Like, who's your master? Who's your allegiance to? Notice he says in verse 24, and those who belong to Jesus Christ, what do they do? They kill, they crucify the flesh. They have work to do. They have a fight to in, endeavor in. They, 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 uh, they fight the passions and desires of the flesh. You're like, well, what are those? Go back to verse 19 through 21. That's what it is. They're fighting those, putting them to death. What he's saying is, he, he, he say, he, he, uh, and so what I want you to hear, you're not hiding in shame. If you're like, man, I look at my life, and I'm, it's just riddled by the flesh. I'm like a dude in Corinth. If that's you, you're like, man, I'm just, I'm like the Corinthians. Immature, can't get out of this rut. I'm not saying, uh, you don't need to hide in shame. What I'm saying is you must fight, though. You must fight. If you belong to Christ, you must crucify the flesh along with its passions and desires. You must make yourself known. Be accountable. Take responsibility. Submit to a process. Be open. Be honest. And then to those you submit to, those who you're walking with, like obey them. Do it. Do it. Take responsibility. See, your job, our job, church, is to, the, is to kill the works of the flesh, to stop doing the works of the flesh. And it's God, the Holy Spirit's job to cause us to produce fruit. See, notice he calls it the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. See, the fruit, if you look at a tree, how does a, how does a, a tree produce fruit? It, it must be rooted and grounded in good soil, correct? And then how much work does that tree have to do to produce fruit? Nothing. It doesn't do anything. A tree that is planted by water, a source of water, have deep roots, it produces fruit in season. This is why in Psalm 1 he says, Blessed is the man who does not what? Walk according to the counsel of the wicked, nor stand by in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Those are things that you do. Do not do those things. But then he says, but the man, uh, the blessed man, he delights in the law of the Lord. On God's word, he says he meditates on it day and night. He thinks about it. He, he's memorizing it. He's, why? Not to, to earn some points at church or go to Bible study and show people how I memorize group or get to DG and go, I got this verse memorized, but because he loves his God. He's thinking about him day and night. He's memorizing scripture so he can know and love his God. He's doing it all. The, that's what he wants. The Psalm 1 continues and says that man is like a tree planted by water that yields fruit in season. You don't do anything to yield fruit. 
You just abide. You just remain. You just stay rooted in Jesus and his word. So the fight is to put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh. To stop the sexual morality, to repent from impurities, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. Put those to death if you belong to Christ. Then submit to Jesus and his word. Meditate on it day and night. Know it, love it, appreciate it. Worship Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And what that's going to look like is you're, as you get tethered into his word, you got to get back out and fight again. The works of the flesh rise up again. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but every hour. You're, you're constantly going to war against sin and in the flesh until you've killed it, until you've resisted the devil to the point where he has fleed from you. That's the job. And then the spirit of God produces the fruit. You don't produce the fruit. So many Christians will go to Galatians 2 and just go, ooh, I'm going to be loving today. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have joy today. Fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to make the fruit produce. But then, then when you, is this true? Christians are like, they, they go, you know, you go to the study and you're like, how do I be godly? And they look at the fruit of the Spirit and they, they try to do the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what happens? We look at the works of the flesh, talk to a Christian, they go, well, I need God's help here. I, I can't do this on my own. I can't flee from sexual morality. Like, you know, you know my thoughts, I just can't, it just, they just come into my mind. I can't stop it. But I can, I can have peace and patience on my own. False. No. You need the Spirit of God to do both. But it's your job to step up and fight the flesh by the power of the Spirit, Romans 8.13. And it's the Spirit's job in you to produce the fruit. Abide in Jesus and you will produce much fruit, John 15. Apart from him, you will do nothing. John 15 says it's the Father's will that you would produce much fruit. He wants to produce fruit in you. Do you want to fight your sin? Those are the questions you've got to ask. He continues. He says, plant, he, now he's referring to planting and watering as servants of Christ. He's talking about work. What do you do? This is the stuff he wants them to do. And so, but he can't get them to do it because they're, 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 they're in the flesh still. They're still acting like non-Christians. So he says this. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? What he, he, he's saying, you're going to this pastor for advice, and you, you, you follow his advice for a little while, but it doesn't really work because you really don't you know, want to kill your sin. You really don't want to repent of your sin, so you hop to the next guy, and you, and you, you hear from him, and you go to, uh, you know, you go to the next person, and you're just, you're just there. Where this is like where in America church hopping has become like real popular. Like you go to a church for a little while and then and you see it all the time. You go to the church where, where people get real close to you and they, they start to help you walk and follow Jesus. But it's really hard to repent and continue to walk and follow Jesus. And then you're like, ah, I'm going to go to the next church. It's easier over there. Literally you hear people all the time say like, oh, it's just hard here. I think it will be easier at that church. And so we're just consumers hopping around from church to church. And so here's the reality about a plant, right? If you, are, if you have a plant and you keep taking it out of its soil, putting it in new soil, guess what happens? It doesn't grow. How many Christians have you seen? How many Christians you know that are just have, you know, they, they've taken a one-way ticket to the, the church hopping convention and they're just popping around like bunnies everywhere. You're like, man, they're kind of spiritually immature. 
Yeah, they have a lot of information, right? Yeah. Well, what about the person who goes to their DG and their, or their discipleship and they're in their community and they're like, man, this group is it's shallow. It's just not in-depth enough for me. Ask that guy if he's looking at porn. Answer's probably yes. Like, hey, 100% of the time, some dude who's like, that group's not, you know, it's too shallow for me, has some secret sins. It is. Ah, oh, it's just not in-depth enough. Because you're a child. You can't even, you don't even have the, baby, the, the ability to process what would be good spiritual food. Because you, have, you're, because you don't choose obedience. You're not honest in community. You're not fighting your sin. You see it all the time. I have so many friends from college, from high school, just seeing the trajectory of humans. And, it, and I get like Paul, man, I'm like frustrated with it. Ticked off from time to time. It's just, you're like, oh, I'm going to go over there with Paul for a little while, oh, over there to Apollo, so I'll go to this CG for a little while, I'll go to this discipleship group for a little while, I'll go to this, the elders will tell me this, and just go everywhere, just, you give people just a little bit of information, but not a lot of information, and no, everyone wants to help you, but you don't really want to be helped, you just want to be transparent, so you can look good on the outside. I'm honest. Yeah, it's a liar. And someone who's not, this is the reality. Someone who's just tells you a little bit and not and doesn't allow the church body to come around you is either a liar or they're really wounded. And if you're really wounded, I want you to know, I don't want you to hear shame in this. I get it. Wounding's real. People are hard to trust. You don't give your trust to everyone. But I'm, what I'm saying is speaking to a type of person, like they're talking, they, they're picking teams, going to this pastor, going to that pastor, and he's just like, what the heck are you doing? It's, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants of the one you believed, as the Lord assigned each of you. God's given you your pastor, God's given you your community group leader, God's given you the deacons of the church in the, for your spiritual well-being, for your maturity, and it's amazing how many people go from churches to churches. And if you're a guest with us and you're coming around here, you know, welcome. I, if you're mad at the other church, that's fine. But you'll be mad at us too. Like, that's just the reality. And so people never grow because they never stay rooted. And you look at America. Now, now, now see that over the course of time, centuries. And look at a nation who's crumbling because the men in this country, the Christian men of this country, have no backbone. That wasn't just overnight. It's because we have men, grown men with beards, who have the spiritual maturity of a toddler. Like, why does Christianity seem, you know the churches where they're like, everything's like youth group part four? Like, God, why do you make fun of churches? I'm not, I'm just, y'all, I'm trying to talk about the type of people who just need to be entertained all the time. It's a lack of, it's not a, it's, you're like, well, we just need more spiritual depth. We need obedience. That's what we need. You just obey Jesus. I know a lot of people who know very little theology that are really, really obedient with the little stuff they know. They're maybe some of the most holy people I know. Obey Jesus with what you know and what you have. So he's like, look at these guys. They're choosing their favorite pastor, their favorite group, consumer mindset. 
and oh, this pastor knows me better. He understands me better. See, people will make million, a million excuses to say infants. Why? Because it's really great to have people do stuff for you. Let's go back to my two-year-old. He lo- some, have you ever seen a toddler who doesn't want to walk? Like, it's great. Parents are like, man, he's walking. It's great. You know, you know it's so awesome. One years old walking, two years old, man, they're, they're walking on their own. It's great. They're falling less. It's pretty good. We're excited. Except for the day where that toddler decides, I don't want to walk anymore. Ever seen that? They just throw a fit. Crying, screaming. Why? They want to be carried. They want to be carried. Well, man, we're at Six Flags. We've got to get to the parking lot. Like, that's a long way. It would really be helpful if you just, you know, the whole thing you used to do every single day of your life, walk. Let's do that one now. No, it's too hot, crying, and they're probably eating ice cream too. It's a mess. It's, the, it's there. You know it. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The toddler who doesn't want to walk and just throwing a fit. They can walk. They should walk, but they don't want to. Why? Because they want someone to carry them. They want to be held. See, this, that's what I see when I see Christians who don't want to fight their sin. The crying little two-year-old toddler in the parking lot when you could be walking, you should be walking, and the more you walk, the easier it gets, and the stronger you'll get, and the better you'll be, and the more mature you'll be. It's the Christian who throws a fit, wants everyone else to fight their sin for him, but they. They don't want to take responsibility. And it's hard. Yes, I know. For, the, for my two-year-old to walk through SeaWorld's parking lot, it's a long walk. His feet, his legs are much smaller than mine. And it's not that I'm not willing to help. It's not that I'm not willing to pick up. And I do from time to time hold us. And we do, we, parents, we walk with them. We help them. But what we're trying to do is cultivate in them a resilience and an obedience and a, and a type of tenacity they're going to need for the rest of their life to physically get from point A to point B. And that's the skill called walking. Christian, you need a skill called killing sin. You don't have that. You won't make it. You'll be like the toddler crying on the floor the rest of your life. Kill sin lest it kill you. John Owen wrote a famous book on that, on that premise, but it's, the idea is rooted in Romans 8, 13. If by the Spirit, that's the power, we, you know, because you have the, the Spirit because you're a Christian, you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. If you don't, you'll die. I need you to see that when, when, when you're, you're, the elders or a pastor or a community group leader or someone is coming alongside you and saying, hey, I, I'm gonna, I need you to hold the line here. I need you to stop complaining. I need you to, to obey here. I need you to do these things, what God says. I need you to, to step out of your box here. I need to, you to, to help you here. It's like a parent helping a child walk through a parking lot when they're having a breakdown with the ice cream. I know it sounds, seems like the hardest thing you'll ever do right now, but if you learn this one, your life will be better later. Christian, if you learn to fight your sin now, your life will be better later. You're, and not only will you have a, you have a better life, you'll have a better marriage, you'll, have, you'll be a better parent. You, generations and generations that come from you will be blessed because of that one thing you did. So, so church leader, community group leader, deacon, or, or uh, discipleship group leader, don't be a coward when the, when the person you're leading is throwing a fit on the ground. Help them up. Help them see that they're made in the image and glory of God. They have dignity and value, and they need to learn to fight their sin lest they perish the rest of their life. It's our job. Paul's passionate about it. We ought to be too. And so he says that, who are we? We're, we're servants. 
And he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but dude, it was God who gave the growth. So either it's neither he who plants or she who plants, anyone, any one of us, he who plants or he who waters is anything. Paul is like, I am nothing. Apollos is nothing. But God, he who plants, he who waters, they're nothing. But God, only God, who gives the growth. What he's saying is, it is, is our work to plant seeds, to water them. It's, it's God's job to cause the growth. So some of you might hear this and it sounds like, man, it just sounds like you're just, again, pull yourself by your, your own bootstraps. Just be obedient. Just fight your sin. I need you to understand this. It's not you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you're a, spirit, if you're a spiritual being or a spiritual person, according to the text, you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is on you. When you fight your sin, when you willfully choose, hey, I'm going to say no to sin, yes to obedience to Jesus, and you do it, guess who gets the credit? God. The Spirit of God. I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the growth. If there's spiritual growth in your life at any level, you don't get the credit. The person discipling you doesn't get the credit. The preacher who preached a sermon doesn't get the credit. We're nothing but those who plant and water. It is God who causes the growth. So when you, when you determine, I'm going to repent, I'm going to obey today, I'm going to resist sin and cling to Jesus, when you bear fruit in keeping in obedience, know this, it is not you, not by your power, not by your might, in which you are able to cause the growth. Remember, when you bear fruit in obedience, that it was God who caused the growth. That's it. So many Christians are waiting for some Harry Potter type spiritual thing to come upon them when they and it's time for obedience. Like I'm experiencing temptation, and like I'm praying, like God, I don't feel anything. Just do it. Obey. Walk away. It sounds insane, right? But that's what the, that's what it is. The Spirit of God empowers us to do the thing that He told us to do. Stop it. Walk away, submit, worship, rejoice, serve, give, bless, honor, forget. What is it? Just walk in obedience. Like, well, it just doesn't seem like it's coming from a pure heart. Well, here's the deal. If you obey, it's the Spirit of God who did it. The Spirit of God who did it. You're like, how do I know? Just keep doing it. Keep walking in obedience. And over the course of time, you're like, whoa, look at the fruit. I didn't do this. And if you dared claim that you did, you're wrong. I planted, Apollos watered. It was God who caused the growth. That's what he's saying. He says this, that they're servants of Jesus. They're bond servants, meaning Jesus owns them. Jesus owns them. If you're a Christian, I need you to understand that Jesus owns you too. He owns you. And our work is to be about planting and watering. So we plant seeds and we water seeds. And what we're planting, what, what kind of seeds? We're planting seeds of faith. Seeds of faith. That's what we're doing. It, so if you're not a Christian, uh, we're, we're planting seeds of faith in your life so that you will become one. That you will have faith. If you are a Christian, we're planting seeds that will strengthen faith. That you will have faith and continue to have faith. Then we water those seeds, right, so that they cause growth. Have you ever planted something? 
It's really hard. We're really bad at it. I mean, we have toddlers that are like, you know, pretending to be dogs, and we have plants that won't grow. Just pray for my family. It's just hard. Like, we can't keep a plant to, I can't, to save my life. You know, my wife's a little better. But, you know, planting, having a plant, taking care of a plant, even if it's just for decoration, can be a difficult task. you ever done it, try it. It'll teach you this lesson. See, when Paul's planting and watering, what he's not doing is just simply, all right, I'm just planting and dumping a bunch of water in, like I'm going to flood this place, and, and <laughs> that's not what he's doing. He's, he's seeing every individual. He's, put, he's, in, he's putting deposits of seed into their life. He's watering. He's nourishing. He's taking time. See, he, this, what, this is what it means in real, like when you're working with an individual. It's like encouraging them, walking with them, helping, answering their questions. What, what, if you're not a Christian, what is your objections? Let me answer those questions. Let me, let me talk with you through it. Let me walk with you through the process so that you will have faith and one day believe and if you are a christian and you're wrestling with things and it's going how do we walk with you how do we encourage you how do we help you unto obedience and here's the frustrating part part for both when 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 you're 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 walking with someone who's not a christian and they're just like man i just can't get them to can't convince them to become a christian you're right god's got to do it pray more same frustrating things when you're walking with someone and they just won't choose obedience you get letters like this from the Apostle Paul, frustrating. But still, you, have to, you need the Spirit of God to bring about the fruit. So if you're walking with people, you're going to plant seeds and water seeds. That means you've got to have some patience. It means you've got to have some tenacity, some grit to not give up. It means you've got to make some sacrifice. It means you've got to walk alongside people. It means you've got to be around people you don't want to be around sometimes. It means you've got to care a lot like caring for plants in a field that's going to produce fruit to feed your family. It's going to take hard work, but it's worth it. He's saying that's what they are. We're just servants. We're just, we're just servants of God. Jesus owns us, and so we're planting and we're watering. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going with this. He's about to speak to you. There's a, there's a reward for planting and watering. And hear this. We're going to talk about it more next week. We are. But hear this. There is a reward for planting and watering, meaning that there is a blessing God has for Christians who grow up and act like Christians with a sincere heart. That's his point. He's about to talk to them about, and next week the whole sermon's going to be on this, about the, the reward of, of obedience, the reward of, uh, that, that God has for us, the blessing God has for us to, to walk upright in immaturity. There is a blessing in this life and in the life to come to be had. If you're like, this sounds weird, come back next week, you'll hear all about it. But that is where he is going. But he can't get there. Why? Because they're acting like non-Christians. So I'm ending it, before we get to the, the last verse, I need you to see this. There is a reward for doing the work of planting, doing the work of watering. There's a, there's a blessing God has for you, for Christians who grow up, act like Christians, and are mature, from a sincere heart. What he's saying is Christians with, with, with Peter Pan syndrome, they, they're not going to make it in the mission. They've got to grow up. They've got to grow up. There's no room for them on the mission. He ends with this, because that's what he wants for us, to be on the mission. He says in verse 8, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. He, says that the, he speaks of the reward. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one. He already said that they don't, they're, they're, they're not worth anything compared to God. Like God is, 
the one who gets the glory. But he says, he who plants, he waters are one. And he says, each will receive his wages according to his labor. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians going, hey, y'all can't even do anything. Y'all are getting no reward because y'all are doing nothing. You're not killing sin. You're not fighting sin. You're not obeying Jesus. You're doing nothing. God has a reward for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to do a lot of things for you, but you're acting like a non-Christian. Grow up, repent, mature, and get to the business of planting and watering because God has a reward for you. Again, we'll speak to more of that next week. God's blessing and reward, he rewards and blesses Christians who live according to faithfulness to the task that he entrusts them to. But the point I want to make here is that we are God's fellow workers. We are working together with Jesus on his mission. That's what we're doing. He says, Paul and Apollos, this is what they, they, they see the church, they see the church in Corinth and they want them to mature. He, he, he knows God has called them to more. So he, they're rallying them together, saying, come together, come together to work for Jesus, work for Jesus' mission. It's not about Paul's mission, uh, Paul's mission, it's about Jesus' mission. Come together. And you're looking around the city of Corinth and going, the city of Corinth has a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues. There's the temple of Aphrodite over there. There's the dude who we all get our hamburgers from that sacrifices the idols. And we've got to stop. There's these guys who are suing one another. There's, you know, the orgies that are going on. And he's like, we got a, got a lot of work to do in the city. This is Jesus' city. He's risen from the dead. He is king. The kingdom must advance. In the city of Corinth, there's about 50 to 80 Christians in this church. He's like, we got a lot of work to do. But we got to get unified. we got to get on the same page. we got to act like Christians. That's what we got to do. That's his point here. And so we, we need to do God's will, and we need to plant, we need to water, and we need to watch God grow. That's where he is at. So I want to turn our attention as we conclude that, that we too are God's workers. We work together for Jesus, for Jesus' mission. This isn't the, the elders' work for Jesus' mission. If you are a Christian and the well is your home, we follow Jesus. Jesus is the lead pastor. The elders are under his command. And, and the, the, member, the deacons serve the church and the members respond. Together, we're fellow workers of Jesus and his mission. That's what we're doing. And look at our city. We've got a lot of work to do. Just like the city of Corinth. We are the seventh largest city in the nation. San Antonio is. The seventh largest city. Need, I've done a lot of research on on the, there's less than 7% of our city that's uh, quote-unquote evangelical, uh, but that's neither here nor there at this point, because uh, that word is, who knows what that means anymore. So I've even done more research uh, most recently, and we are the, San Antonio compared to all the other major cities, not just in Texas, but in, in the nation, we have one of the smallest numbers, uh, smallest uh, amounts of biblically and theologically uh, conservative Orthodox churches in, in any of the major cities. So what I'm talking about is when you're looking around, uh, uh, you know, conservative Christian, the, the conservative Baptists, the conservative Presbyterians, uh, the Reformed types, all you look around all those, those folks and you look at the churches, we have the smallest number of, of conservative, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians or, or churches in any of the major cities. Like Austin has more by f- a far amount than we do. 
What's the point I'm making? I'm saying, the point I'm saying is there's a lot of work to be done here. There's a lot of work to be done here. And it, San Antonio and really South Texas, I, I trace it all the way down to the, to the valley because uh, I'm working with some church planters there. It's the same there as well. Different cities, things work differently there, but, but it's just the Wild West. South Texas and on, we're just the Wild West. And so I need you to see that, that the harvest is plentiful, but the work will be hard. The work will be hard. It will be hard. So I had a, there was a group of men I had together. We're talking about this this week. Got them together. And one of the guys, because we're talking about this, and he says, there's, this, there's a major church in, in the city, uh, in our city, in San Antonio, uh, who we, uh, it, things are making more sense now, I guess I'll say it that way. Uh, he's a church planter. And it's part of a church planting church, a church that wants to fund uh, churches that are not necessarily in their denomination. They want to be about the kingdom, the big C church, but they have chosen, they went through the whole process with this church, and they have refused to now fund him because he believes in male-only elders. I was like, the one thing? Like, yeah, they're like, yeah, that's, if you don't have women pastors, like, we can't fund you. What? That's the thing? That's the hill you're dying on? People need to know Jesus. We agree that he, Jesus died in our place for our sin. Like, that's the thing. I could get it if, like, you know, you funded only people in your denomination. No, they're funding nut jobs, heretics, churches that don't even, they're, they're wacko. But the dude who has a backbone, who has a conviction rooted in the Bible, he's like, nah, can't fund him. We live in a city, I need you to understand this, I'm not knocking churches, I love the church here. I attend a lot of church things with people who disagree with me, and I love them, I, I pray with them, I really, 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 really do. But I'm at the point now where we, I'm seeing we live in a city that's change your theology or we won't fund you type of city. I don't know what's next in this nonsense stuff. It's what's going on in our city. Is this conf- the, the, conform to this way or we, you can't be a part of our church planting thing? I said another church planting thing recently. A person got up on stage and gave the, the presentation and they're telling us how we could be, you know, learn, learn from the city, learn from her, works for the city council. And I'm like, okay, this is like a Joseph type thing. Works for the city council. Let's hear about it. Find out she's not even a Christian. Telling all the church planters, a hundred church planters in the city of San Antonio, and they're clapping and taking pictures of the non-Christian, telling them how to reach the city for Jesus she doesn't believe in. She made it clear. I'm watching guys take pictures of this. I'm furiated when I leave. I am so ticked off. It's the same church that won't fund the church planters. Because they have this conviction that, sh- that male-only eldership is unbiblical. But, you know, heretics and nut jobs teaching a bunch of church planters is A-OK. So you're wondering why I'm just ticked off. Like, that's been my week. And just over and over, working with these men who want to plant churches in the city. And looking around and churches just not being willing to work together. So what we're doing is we're rallying these guys together who are in this city. So you might see some guys pop in and out. They're church planters who want to be about 
planting gospel-centered churches that have a backbone, that preach the gospel as is, that, 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 that preach obedience, that preach repentance, that are not afraid to be offended, to offend someone by telling them what God's word says. Those type of guys, they're coming in. They are in our city. God has not abandoned us. So I got these guys together, and I told them basically this. I was like, hey, this is 13 hours in Benghazi. Ain't no one coming to help us. The denominations aren't. The church is in here. No one's coming to help us. This really is like an Alamo moment for us. But Jesus is king, and we win in the end, so have, have heart, you know, take heart. I said, I looked at him, and I said, this, told these men, no one's coming. Literally, this is the stand. There's not many of us left in South Texas. So we're going to be collaborating together. Churches may be in different denominations, but we're going to hold to some tenets. And we're going to plant churches. And we're going to push the gospel forward in this city. And people may not like it. And churches may not allow us to be a part of their things anymore like they already are doing. And so I need you to see that this is what we're not playing dress-up church. And so... Looking at you, church family, I need you to seize this God-given opportunity that's in front of you. Like We need to stand upright. We need to press forward with God's kingdom and God's power to build his church, to expand his kingdom that leaves a legacy and lineage for our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids that point to Jesus. We might not make it. We might be the first line. We might be the first line of defense that gets mowed over. But by the grace and power of Jesus, we are we are praying for and building for and working for something that lasts generations and generations and generations. So if you're a guest with us, you want to know who we are? That's who we are. That's who we are. And that's what we're building. But it comes under this premise that we are God's fellow workers. Not me. Not I, not them, not Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas, not the, not the cliques, but the church. And Paul wants them to get their head in the game and get to work. So he's belaboring this one point that I have done all day. We've got to mature. We've got to grow up. We've got to walk upright. And many of you are. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. And this sermon wasn't meant to talk about any one person. So if you felt like I was talking to you, Take it up with the Holy Spirit. I had no one in mind when I was saying any of these things. I'm just reading the text, experiencing, trying to push the gospel forward here in the city. And so, we'll end with this. You are image bearers of God. You are. You're made in his image, in his likeness. If you're a Christian, the spirit of God lives in you. Act like it. Act like it. Act like it. Fight like it. Live like it. Obey like it. Steward your finances like it. Parent your kids like it. Love your spouse like it. Fight your sin like it. Obey your God like it. Contend for the faith like it. Love like it. Serve like it. Plant like it. Water like it. Let God cause the growth. Let's pray. Jesus, we surrender to you. I said as we respond, we'd worship you with a true heart. You'd give us the power to 
act like whose we are. We are yours. We are the king's kids. May we act like it. May we fight like it. May we love like it. May we live like it. May we obey like it. May we worship like it now. As we respond through taking communion, as we respond through singing, as we respond later through giving, as we, as we go and live our lives, would you bless us, Holy Spirit, empower us, convict us, use us, transform us, no one, the enemy is Satan and demons, not other people, not other churches. We want to come alongside, though, and help people who are serious about your work. We get frustrated when there's not a lot of people out there who are wanting to help. Help do what you've called us to do. And we want to help others do it. So, so rally around us, Holy Spirit, with power, with zeal, with resources, with networking, so that we can continue to do what you've called us to do. And by God's grace, may we look out over the next year, the next two years, the next five years, and see just a, a massive sea of, of fruitfulness, knowing that we planted, we watered, and we're nothing. But you, God, who calls to growth, are everything. It's you who we worship, Jesus. We do that now in Christ's name. Amen.